With everyone trying to move away from Amazon's associates, or at least trying to diversify away from it, affiliate networks are one of the first options that pops in everyone's minds because it's so convenient to have all the offers under one dashboard and have one source of payment, etc. But are affiliate networks really worth your time? What are the things that you need to avoid or at least be careful when you're using them? Or how do you solve dilemmas like, for example, if you want to promote a pair of Nike shoes that is both available on Amazon and on an affiliate network like CJ, which one should you use in which case, etc. These are the kind of questions that we are going to attempt to answer to in this episode. So stay tuned. Welcome to the Authority Hacker Podcast. And now your hosts, Gail Breton and Mark Webster. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Atari Hacker Podcast. So the other day I was looking at the podcast feed and I was looking for ideas for the podcast. And I realized that in more than 250 episodes, we never talked about affiliate networks on their own. When they're a pretty important part of the way we monetize things, it's not necessarily my favorite. I tend to prefer more individual networks as we will talk about in this episode, not individual affiliate programs, not networks. And I explained why in this episode, but it's going to be interesting. So because it's such an important part of monetization, we thought we would cover it and cover our experience with them so that you guys know exactly how to use networks so that you can monetize your sites better. So for that, obviously, I have Mark. So how's it going, Mark? It's going good, Gail. How are you? You know, someone commented on the premiere last week, was asking why only one of us was wearing an Ottery Hacker t-shirt or thing, because it's always you, right? And I just can't be bothered usually to change. And my answer was budget. We can't afford both, but I could afford the old one, right? This is the old logo because I still didn't receive the new ones. <laughs> I actually have the new ones downstairs. I, I've just been too lazy to box them up and send them over to you. So apologies for that. I do have one interesting how's it going, Mark, story, though. So I was actually the guest on another podcast this week. And the guy asked me after introducing me, how's it going, Mark? <laughs> and I just I froze like I didn't have an answer prepared. And I was like, uh good i guess so it seems like your how's it going mark thing has started to spread and it's conditioning honest, you, you I'm, know i'm getting a little worried now it's like you, your brain snaps when it happens you know it's like yeah. uh, it's a post-traumatic experience and you get something that just uh, flashes back in your head and you break. you know that's pretty funny Okay, let's talk about affiliate networks. I usually tend to let you do the intros slash first parts of the podcast because I think you're clearer than me when you explain what things are and how they are. So I'll let you do that part as well, which is just what is an actual affiliate network and how does it work? An affiliate network is a company which brings together affiliate tracking software, often payment software or payment processing as well, as uh, a group of vendors, that is people who have products and who are looking for affiliates and a group of affiliates who are looking to promote products. And when you have all three of those pieces under one roof, it creates a pretty strong value proposition for an affiliate. So you can join that program, that network, and you can instantly get access to promote dozens or hundreds or thousands even of different products and different vendors, all using the same link technology or, or link generation software, one login, one payout details, one payment. So it just keeps things easy as an affiliate. As a vendor or someone with a product, you can go to them and you will have access to their technology, but also They'll be there to help you set it up, maybe give you some advice, as well as their affiliate managers will or can assist in 
getting affiliates to push your product. So making them aware that it exists. This is in stark contrast to running your own affiliate program, which is still possible and pretty easy from a technology perspective. A lot of shopping carts these days will have the affiliate tracking software built in and it will connect to PayPal or whatever payment yeah, That's how we do on the Toyota Car, right? Yeah, so we, we use the ThriveCart to process payments for our courses on Authority Hacker, and they have a built-in affiliate tracking software in there. So that's what we use. Now, the downside of that is that we have to go out and find our own affiliates, and we have to create our own affiliate onboarding process and application form and screen them and, and do all these things, which means that it's a little bit more tricky sometimes to, to find affiliates than it would be just going to a big network. But there are some advantages, i.e. more control, cheaper to run it yourself you can kind of customize things and set set up things the the way you want to and some of the i don't know nefarious policies that affiliate networks sometimes have you don't have to deal with their bullshit basically yeah it's kind of like well do you want to manage this or do you want to take this off your company but you know what it's why it's really important for me it's not just like as a, like a lot of people are going to be like shaking their heads and they're like you don't care as an affiliate but you do care because and that's one of the reasons why i prefer independent affiliate programs because usually a company are you, are you talking would, as the vendor or as an affiliate here though as an affiliate and the reason why is because a company that decides to put the resources behind properly running their affiliate programs versus using a network tends to just care more about that program and usually sees a return for that which is an indication to me that they're making money with their affiliate program. Whereas, you know, running through a network feels more like a second thought, like kind of like when you outsource something versus when you do it yourself, right? You tend to focus on doing the things yourself that bring the most value and outsourcing the stuff that's like secondary to your business. And so that's my opinion that it's like the, the way it works is like people who are on networks tend, tend to see this as secondary, whereas people who run their own affiliate programs tend to see this as a primary method of acquiring traffic and monetization. And you're more likely to get quality from the people who run their own affiliate program. However, it could also be the other end. It could literally be scammers running a trap affiliate program, taking your traffic and never paying you out, which we should talk about a little bit later, maybe. So I just wanted to highlight that because I think it's something that people will you know, bypass and be like, that's a useless detail, but it's actually, in my experience, it matters quite a bit and it tells you the, the philosophy of the company towards their affiliate program. And just to sort of like turn that around a little bit, there are some good examples of like niche specific affiliate programs. So you have your general, uh, sorry, affiliate networks. You have your general affiliate networks, you know, your commission junction, share a sale, uh, affiliate window, those, those kind of guys. Then you have a lot of niche-specific affiliate networks. I'm thinking more niche when we met those guys out when we were at the Chiang Mai yeah. SEO conference a couple of years back. And they focus primarily on kind of health and diet and supplement kind of ranges, I, I think at least. So by going by going into them and like applying for them, you can get access to like a lot of programs quite quickly and you can kind of compare them all easily and yeah, just kind of get involved. You're not, you don't have to fill out dozens of affiliate applications and then wait to be approved. It and depends, right? It's like when you work within an affiliate network, when you just, especially like these more like smaller networks, you tend to, there's tiers of affiliates, right? There's like kind of like, you know, it's kind of be like playing a ranked Overwatch, right? You're like silver, gold, platinum, <laughs> etc. Think about it that way. And depending on your tier, you get access, you don't get access to all the offers. When you join an affiliate network, it's quite often that you arrive and then you see a bunch of offers in the dashboard, but actually you're going to 
for many offers, you're going to need to still apply within the network, right? So it's often easy to get in the network, but you don't necessarily, you can not necessarily promote everything. And for big networks like CJ and ShareCell, for most programs, you need to apply, right? You need to go ahead and fill another application that is then reviewed by the company. So when you sign up for the network, you're signing up to the network that decides if you as an athlete are interested for the network. But a lot and increasingly more offers will require a second application within the network where you get another form to fill. And that application is going to be reviewed by the company that is running through the network and then be approved or not approved. And very often, in my experience, I've applied to a bunch of uh, things through that and I get no reply. And the only way to get a reply is to talk to your affiliate managers through the network so they can then nudge the person in the company that will then look at your application and then eventually you might get in, you know? This is a common problem, not just with networks, but when applying for affiliate programs is you don't get a reply. It's like, did they reject me? Did they not get it? Is there some technical problem? Or have they just not checked it recently? And trying to figure out what's going on there is, is difficult. As you said, though, with an affiliate network, you have an, an account manager, an affiliate manager who you have their contact info. A lot of the time you'll have spoken to them on a Skype call or something and you'll be able to reach out to them and say, hey, you know, what's going on here? And they can reach out to the right people, grease the wheels and, and kind of get you in, as it were. Also, the better networks, you apply once and they'll for the network and then they'll pull a lot of that data. So your application to each program within the network is much shorter. So you don't have to type in your email address and your business BAT um, number and all those kind of details that they, they seem to need these these days. It's more just like a few specific things to specific to that, that affiliate program. Yeah, but it can also be quite frustrating. It also happens that you have to redo the same thing a million times, etc. So just in general with affiliate programs and affiliate networks. I really feel the pain of, of affiliate managers and I understand why this, this happens because 90 to 95% of people of affiliates that join will refer no traffic and make no sales. Like they join with the best intentions, but for whatever reason, they, they don't follow through and they, they don't do anything. So there's a lot of burden, administrative yeah. burden, like dealing with those people. And, you know, when, when you have loads of accounts and you need to like change something, you need to reach out to everyone and it just gets a little bit messy. So I understand why networks and programs are trying to throttle the number of people coming in. They own, they want to not have that 19 to 95% get in and just have like the people who are actually serious in there. And so that's why I think they apply directly or indirectly through, you know, not responding to, to applications often. I think that's why they, they're, they're poor in accepting people yeah, like that. It's not just that. It's also, if you think about what I said earlier, if the affiliate program is more of a second, second thought, like kind of like the people in the, in the parent company, uh, think that the affiliate network is managing that or like there's someone that's doing this on the side of their job because they're just managing the network. They're less on the ball when they receive a direct applications that they need to approve inside the company that is running through the network. And, and it feels like, yeah, like to my experience, in a lot of cases, they mostly reply to the nudges of the affiliate manager. And we should talk about the affiliate manager, who it is, what they do. 
and what to do at the beginning. Like you do that more. So you should talk more, like you're the one who talks to them usually. I'm the one who makes the strategy and then you're just like, okay, fine, I need to this network. And you go talk to them and then you just negotiate a better deal or whatever you do. And I always see, so around like applying to networks and programs, like I always see it as a challenge. Like I'm expecting to be sort of ghosted the first time we apply, especially as a new site. I'm thinking maybe they, often the application form doesn't have enough fields for you to explain who you are yeah. or what you're really trying to do it's just like name website chosen strategy or whatever and you select it from a drop down and it's like it's not really really effective in me communicating my message but in 100 of time of times when we've applied for an app for a affiliate program or network and we've wanted to get in and they haven't responded i've been able to find a way to get in touch with them and being able to craft a message that convinces them that they should let us in 100 of times and just the mere fact of going through those motions and i'm show expressing your interest in a more sincere way to the right person tracking down that person as you would for you know link building outreach or something it's really not that different then you can almost always get in as i said so yeah but like i was more thinking about the affiliate like you get some kind of like assigned affiliate manager when you join a network right you get someone that's assigned to you usually you see it in the dashboard when you log in etc would you contact them right away and what happens with them Often no, especially for new sites. Like often we'll sign up for an affiliate network for a new site, which doesn't have much traffic or realistically, we're, we're probably not going to make any sales because we're focusing on SEO. We're not going to make any sales for several months. And so it's only after we've started to deliver something that I'll, I'll reach out and, and try and spark that, that relationship. Obviously, if they reach out to me, I'll, I'll engage, I'll set up a call if they're up for that. But Often they're like, well, we'll wait till we'll see if their numbers kind of go up before it's worth worth reaching out to the site. So I think, yeah, that would generally be my approach. But once we have set, started sending some traffic, started sending, uh, making some commissions, um, I think reaching out and engaging with the affiliate manager and treating them nice is so important. And having been on both sides of this as a vendor and as an affiliate, I know the vast majority of affiliates do not treat the uh, affiliate managers very well at all. And you get a lot of very um, short, robotic, kind of arsy messages to them saying like, why is this happening? Or what's this like? No attempt to engage them on a, on a personal level, um, which I think is a mistake. Um, and I think we've seen from past experience that building that relationship and 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 getting to to know affiliate managers has paid dividends in the vast majority of cases when we've really put in the effort to talk to them or you know even sometimes like go and visit them in their in their offices if we happen to be um, near near where they're at yeah i think it's important to be nice but it's also important to not give information you don't have to give a lot of these affiliate managers are also affiliates um, it's like just just having that kind of job makes them like it's like oh my god this guy is making 10k a month or whatever like I want to do that too and it's really really not uncommon that an affiliate like someone that works for the network or for whatever or for your promoting for that matter you talk to them and you like having a discussion maybe trying to increase your commissions maybe showing them something or whatever and they they create sites that would literally copy you as well so they're potential competitors as well and you they might even be competitors before they talk to you right they might already have sites promoting x offer whatever and so you need to be a little careful and i would not give information i don't need to give and when i can stay vague 
I would stay vague, you know, it's like I would necessarily, like if I show an example of a page, I would not show my best page. I would not, like you can hide that in like, even when you clock your links, et cetera, it's much harder for them because they see the, the redirect, you know, they don't see which page it comes from or something like this. So they don't have all the data and, uh, and I would be. That's actually an important point about link cloaking because yeah. by default, the affiliate program will give you an affiliate link generator usually that you can create an affiliate link and just kind of stick it on your site somewhere. But yeah. if you just do that, they'll see exactly where all the clicks and all the sales come from. So the affiliate manager will have full transparency over which pages on your site are making the sales. So if you start like a new content hub that does particularly well, they'll see it. And uh, often they'll pass that information on if it's their own project they're, they're working on or to other affiliates. You know, maybe there's, there's no competition and you found a, a new a group of seed keywords that, that are working really well. But the affiliates manager is interested to get as many people making sales for yeah, their Yeah, so he would give it to them, etc. Their yeah. network. So he'll say, hey, this is working really well for them. Why don't you do the same yeah. as well? That's That works in their their interest. There's another thing. Uh, it's like if I was in a really competitive niche, like if I was in like casino, finance, even travel, things like that, I would not even cloak my links on my main domains. I would cloak my links on a third-party domain. You can use tools like ClickMagic, for example, like it's a better bit of a better affiliate tracker if you, it's more expensive, but it, you can do that. And this way they wouldn't even necessarily see my, my main domain. Or if you have multiple sites in the same niche, for example, you know, you can register with one site, but kind of like also push traffic from other sites. And if you have a third party tracking domain, then they won't necessarily see even the site. So they can just find it and put it in Ahrefs or something like this. And you can, you can hide that by having just a dedicated domain that's here to just to redirect the traffic. So you send your traffic to, I don't know, I'd say it's like autoyhacker.net. Let's imagine we had autoyhacker.net as a tracking domain for a finance site. I would use that as my cloak links and it would send traffic to autoyhacker.net, which was then redirect to the FA offer. And they would never see with the origin site, you know, and especially if, when, if you have a network of sites, if you have like some sites that are really banking, etc might be worth registering with one site and sending traffic with the rest of your site. You should probably say in your application that you have a network of sites, but you shouldn't necessarily give all the URLs so that you're clear, but you also want to protect your information because you are talking to people that could potentially use that information against you as well. So something I'd be quite careful. Another thing I'd be a bit careful is taking anything these managers say for granted because as part of their job they are giving given objectives right essentially their job is to be the salesman of a given offer let's say that the network that they're working for just made a deal with a big a big weight loss company and they promise to try to push you know two hundred thousand dollars of sales per month to these guys right the affiliate manager is is largely incentivized to oversell that offer to you and make you push traffic to these people even though that may not be the best course of action for you as an affiliate because of the engagement the network has taken because they want to grow that relationship for themselves etc and so I'd be a little careful when something is a little bit overhyped and they're telling, oh, it's working so well for like 10 other people, etc. To not take this at face value and bring a lot of skepticism when they're pushing something to you because you're a product to them. <laughs> you're essentially a traffic source and they just need to convince you. It's just typical business deals. I win, you lose sometimes. Not necessarily. It doesn't mean everything they say is bad, but you have to understand what they're trying to achieve with talking to you, which is making you send the right traffic to the right place for them to make the most money, not you making the most money. And so, yeah, I don't know if that happened to you when you talk to them sometimes, but it, you know, it's a, depends. Some of them are a bit hypey, basically, but yeah. 
All the time, all the time. Yeah. I mean, if you were to just do everything every affiliate manager said, you would be changing everything all the time and you'd never like get anywhere. So yeah, you have to have a layer of critical sense applied to anything they're they're kind of asking you for. That doesn't mean that everything they're they're saying is is bullshit because actually sometimes they'll come along with like a legitimately good offer. Or indeed they may be some saying something that, that works really well for 10 other sites, but because yours is the content's different or the angle's a little bit different. It might just not work for yours because your audience is, is different. So it's hard to hard to say whether there's like nefarious undertones to the intent or not. Yeah. Uh, usually usually what you what I do if that let's say let's say an affiliate manager would push something to me. I I made that video, right, about finding all the sites promoting stuff through the tracking links, right? So you can put the tracking links into Ahrefs. So you can take your tracking link for a given offer, put it in Ahrefs. And find your competitors that are pushing the same offer, right? And it's like, kind of like try to fact check what they're saying. You know, it's like, hey, are, are really a lot of people pushing that stuff? Can I see that when I actually reverse engineer competition for the offer? Or is this something that's completely new? Nobody's pushing and they're just trying to just grow it and they're trying to use me as a guinea pig, you know? So yeah, I would double check stuff. I would probably stay nice on the call, you know, I wouldn't try to like call them out and ruin the relationship or something like this. But I'd be like, hey, I'll think about it. And then I would double check. And if that's interesting, then I'll get back in touch with them. And if it's not interesting, I'll just pretend I forgot about it. <laughs> that's pretty much how we manage that relationship. So yeah, be a little careful of these people. They have their best interest in mind, but sometimes and even often your interest and their interest aligns because the more sales you make, the more money they make as well. Anything else on managers? Just to get back to your like link cloaking thing, I don't want everyone listening to this thinking, oh shit, I need to go away and cloak all my affiliate not links for right now. <laughs> Like this, yes, I mean, certainly not for something like Amazon, but this is quite common where there are affiliates who are sending paid traffic to an offer because anyone else can come along and just buy that same or similar paid traffic if they know where it's where it's coming from. So link cloaking and, and all that's like really big and really important when you're you're doing something like that. It's slightly more challenging, it's a lot more challenging, in fact, to replicate a, a website, especially if it has any kind of authority or it's established. You can't just throw another blog up and target the same keywords and, and rewrite them. Some people will, some people will try and occasionally people will have some success, but it's not that big of a deal that you need to go away and cloak all of your links. Yeah, right away. I would only do it if you're going like finance or something really, really competitive at like where people have sharp teeth, you know, and they're very experienced. Yeah. As well. This, I think this happens a lot with like weight loss and supplements as well. Like I remember from our our health site days. We didn't get into that too much, but yeah, there are some iffy things going on for sure with uh, with some of those networks. What I will say as well is that a lot of networks have the ability to create tracking IDs. So you will, let's say, create a tracking ID per post on your site, and then you you put those in. Just remember that if you make those obvious or that they're the same as the URL and you're, you're cloaking it, then they're still going to have that tracking ID data. So you might need to create some kind of coded tracking IDs and then have a reference sheet where you can like do a VLOOKUP and, and map it back if you really want it, want it into that. But I, I do want to emphasize for 90 plus percent people of people listening to this, that's 
really not a concern. I, we don't do that for any of our websites at the moment. Not currently. So. Yeah, some of the previous ones I would have done. Like uh, I would have done. But yeah. yeah, we need to get like a tinfoil eye channel, and when we get stuff like that, we just need to like start wearing it so people know. <laughs> if that's what you want us to do, just drop it in the comments on YouTube. <laughs> Let us know if it's we need group, to make homemade tinfoil. Fantastic tinfoil's. idea, Gal. I yeah. love it. I know. I know. I'm really tired. It's usually when I get my best ideas. You know. <laughs> anyway, let's talk. I want to talk about stats within affiliate networks because it kind of crosses over with the affiliate managers in the sense that, like, I don't always believe the stats I see in affiliate networks. So, first of all, they all kind of like have their own stats. Some of them are pretty common. So, you know, if you go on Charousel or CJ, for example, they get like EPC. But like normally when you do EPC with ads, for example, you, you it's like earning per click. That's how you would call, call it. For them, first of all, it's earning per 100 clicks, which means that already you're reading this a bit differently, but it's, it's kind of tricky in the sense that if you believe that, then it's looking like very inflated numbers, which they may not be. They just, they just like they actually use a different definition for it, but I find it fishy. Unless you go find it in their help files, it doesn't say that. But if you run a PPC campaign, EPC, you'll say per click, right? For a network like ClickBank, for example, you get gravity. Gravity is a number they kind of make up through a custom algorithm that is based on the number of affiliates that made money with that, made a sell with that offer within the last 12 weeks, for example. So that's the kind of weird matrix you get. So the first thing you need to do when you get into a network is look at, you know, open the dashboard with all the offers and you get like three, four, five metrics for each offer and go on the help file and read what each metric actually is according to them. And they will be deceiving like the EPC thing, for example. They will do that so that it looks like you're making a ton of money sending, sending traffic to an offer, but really they just multiplied the proper EPC by 100. And that's that's why sometimes it looks ridiculous. You see offers with like 300 EPC, etc. No, it's actually $3 per click, which would make sense for a good offer. It's possible. So you need to be a bit careful with that. And another thing is the numbers you see in the dashboard, it's very rarely what you're going to see when you promote the offer. Uh, first of all, because it's essentially taking all the traffic. So if you have affiliates that have very, very high intent traffic, for example, they will do very well. So let's say you, well, let's just take Bluehost. Like the people, the guy who ranks number one for Bluehost review, his EPC is going to be really high, right? But if you rank for how to make side income and then you link to Bluehost in the subsection on making a blog, right? The intent is going to be much lower and the EPC is going to be much lower. And it's going to be like this for you. There's going to be a mix of that in that number and nobody really has that number. You see, it's just the average of like different people that send traffic. So you need to be a bit careful. And I, I have no proof, but I often believe that these numbers are skewed a little bit as well towards what the offers that the network wants to push so that it looks good to you, like the numbers look high and then you go ahead and push that offer because that's the one the network maybe makes the most margin on or something like this. And so you need to be a, a little careful with all these numbers in the dashboard. There's some other tricks that they'll they'll do as well. So you'll like, you can order it and like sort it by EPC, but then rather than having the best ones at the top, they'll do like some featured ones, oh, which yeah, are their, like their preferred, top, yeah. yeah, essentially internal ads. They don't pay for them obviously, but they, they'll enable the network to push the products which they get the highest kickback from or they're incentivized towards. The whole thing is a little deceiving and it's like you shouldn't trust 100% what you're seeing on your screen. My favorite way of validating an offer is really to get a tracking link, put in Ahrefs and see a bunch of people promoting the offer, ranking for good keywords. And even better, if people are actively creating content that promotes that offer. Like if today, because it's very frequent as well that offers did well at some point. Like. For example, you could find some some ClickBank products on on Health Ambition 
that we promoted that made us really quite good money at the time, but like really they make zero today. And then it's like, you would reverse engineer, they'd be like, oh, I'm gonna promote that offer, it's gonna be great. I'm telling you, you're wasting your time, right? Even though you're gonna do reverse engineering that site, you're gonna make no money. And so it's even better if the content was refreshed or created recently, or they are, you know, regularly creating content that promotes that offer in the last few months. You know, that would be what I'm looking for to really validate an offer much more than the stats I see in the affiliate networks dashboard. I tend to just, I mean, I don't think they like, I don't think they would like completely as well, right? I don't think they would put a massive EPC on something that's making zero. And I don't think they put zero on something that makes you a lot of money. So. It's kind of like keyword research, right? It's like the, so the number you see in the tools is not really the reality, it's just you can compare them with each other. So I would, do, I would use that to filter, and then after that I would do this computer reverse engineering, and I would look at what people are actually doing in the field, and if people are pushing this over, then, then that's when I would say, okay, let's go, let's create some content, let's try a small hub, maybe five pages, and then see what happens in three months, and then if it worked well, then let's produce you know, as many keywords as we can, basically. Anything on the on the stats? No. Okay, I wanted to like then go after some dilemmas that really do exist in real life because I think they're quite important. So let's say you have a running site, a running affiliate site, right? And you want to promote some Nike shoes. You kind of have two options here, right? You can either promote people to Amazon. I don't know how much they pay, probably 3%. I'm going to guess 3% uh, at this point. Or you can promote them through CJ that has a Nike FA program that let's say pays you 4.5 or 5%. Let's imagine, right? Which one do you do and why? I, yeah, that's a really good question. What was the, the other one? CJ that does what percent? 4.5, let's say. And Amazon does three. I'm going to take the SEO try, Fifth you Amendment first, and right. say it depends. I'll test yeah. it, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, My gut instinct says in that case, Amazon's probably going to be better, even though it's three percent uh, versus four and a half because of the cross selling that occurs on Amazon and the the number of people that just buy other other stuff and the conversion rate being being yes. higher because people are logged in, they have Amazon Prime, all that stuff. With those numbers being three to four and a half percent, I think it's probably not going to be too much in it, but it might lean towards Amazon. If it was three percent and ten percent, then I would for sure start with the the CJ offer and go go with that first. When was the last time you bought shoes on the Makers Shoes website? Honestly, like I rarely buy. I don't think I've ever bought shoes on on Amazon. I think I've only ever bought shoes direct from on Nike.com. Like you go on like yeah, I, I haven't bought Nike. Honestly, I'm all about Geox shoes these days. I mean, here's the problem: like Geox have such good shoes that I haven't actually bought any shoes in four years because all mine still work fine. So they they last that long. Okay. Hashtag not sponsored. Honestly, <laughs> honestly buy, buy Geo how, shoes. How amazing. is that helping the podcast? <laughs> um, I don't know. <laughs> but, but like, I le legit haven't bought shoes in a long time. So okay, well, I mean, yeah, it's like the thing. I mean, if it was for three to ten percent, yeah, maybe you would try that. But in general, I would say, especially with like, you know, you tend to buy these branded products for cheaper on like Amazon than they would be on the brand site, right? They tend to run more sales. No, not necessarily. Not with clothing products because the Amazon fees that they have to pay are are fairly significant as well. Often you can find you can get much better deals going okay. going direct. Like cl clothes is one of those things that I Amazon is not they have not like totally conquered it yet. So at what rate would you switch from Amazon to CJ? Like let's say Amazon 3%, how much would CJ need to be for you to even consider it? 6 or 7 I'd say. I mean, I'm considering it from 4 and a half kind of onwards I'm like I'm experimenting with it. I'm maybe starting with CJ from like six or seven 
upwards. Mm-hmm. Cool. It, it is a tough one. That's why, that's why I'm asking a question. If it was an easy question, I wouldn't ask it. Obviously, your mileage may vary. And this is one of these things where like, don't just say what we said on the podcast. Don't just take what we said on the podcast and never try it and then just do it. My, my gut instinct would still be to go with Amazon pretty high. Yeah, 6% at least, I would say. 6, 7 I think seven would be the time where I would switch. But I would probably try both. So it's like, if I did a round of review, I'd probably put some CJ, or even I'd run one month with one and then I'd run the next month with the other and just look at you know how much I made per 100 visitors or something and then be able to decide based on that. It's not perfect, but it's like the best way you have without running any, a complicated way. There's you know? another dynamic that I want to introduce here though, because we're talking about a pair of shoes which cost I don't know how much shoes cost these. They were 60 to 100 bucks for <laughs> Nike shoes, maybe. But if we're talking about something like, let's say, a $900 mountain bike, where the purchasing, it's not really a instinctive, like, oh, I'll just you go, think about go it, yeah. buy it. Yeah, you know, anything that's over $100 to $200, like, there's a lot, it takes a lot more consideration to, to make that purchase. In which time, the 24-hour cookie, cookie land yeah. that Amazon have is likely to to expire or someone else is going to cookie them. So you you may end up in a situation uh, where you you miss out just because people are thinking about it and maybe they come back next week, read another review, check that out. But if you have a CJ program with a 30-day cookie and that pays 7% on mountain bikes, then in that case, I would I'd be more heavily leaning towards that as the, the, the first option. So for the mountain bike, what percentage of CJ to replace Amazon? Let's say Amazon is 3% still. Honestly, quite close, like maybe like 4%. I was going to say 4.5, yeah. Maybe maybe even the same, like 3%, the purchasing window might be that significant. Yeah, it's know. probably around the same. 3%, I would, say, I would say probably Amazon still wins. But the thing that you get from this as well is that these websites, they run retargeting as well, right? So it's like people go and check the bike and it's going to, not only do you get paid for 30 days, but they're essentially running a campaign for you to get paid your commission for 30 days to these people who showed interest. So it's like maybe 4%, 4.5, yeah, I would say around that. But again, these are like based on experience, but kind of like gut feeling, not tests. And you should try it for one month with one, then try it for the next month with the other and try to decide. But it's quite interesting because you will often find the same product across multiple options. And actually the next one I wanted to introduce was network versus in-house FA program, which because that happens as well. For example, like there's, um, there's some VPN companies, for example, that are both on networks and running their own affiliate programs. And they tend to be a bit different terms and condition as well, right? Some of them would maybe offer you recurring through the in-house and maybe one off through the affiliate, through the affiliate network or something. And so you, you kind of like go and shop here, but even with um, sometimes when the affiliate program has the same payout. I was reading a lot of tests from guys who do PPC because it's much easier for them to test, you know? People make 30 to 40% more money by just testing these, even though they have the same payout. So it's like, I was reading about that guy and he switched, he tested the CJ, I think, and he tested the in-house affiliate program. And one of the tracking domains loaded faster, like the CJ loaded faster or something like this. Then the, um, and so like, because people didn't drop out, he made like 20 or 30% more money because essentially it was a better experience, even though it was leading to the exact same place in the end, the same sales page, the same everything, just through different ways. So it's one of these things where I like to introduce pop-ups. I like to do, so I do tests with pop-ups. So I can do a, let's say you have a random preview, right? Let's say you're doing blenders. Allez, let's go, let's go for blenders. And then you, what I do is like, it's like best blender, you rank for that. 
And people who go on that page have an exit pop-up or on mobile output maybe like a 15 second after page load pop-up where it just shows, hey, save 20% or whatever the offer you have from your affiliate offer on that blender, click here to get it, right? And it's like, you'll make some sales from that. And because many pop-up systems we use opt-in monster, but you could, there's many of them like Thrive Leads, you can do that perfectly fine and just pay a one-off. You can run the A-B testing on pop-ups, but you don't really care about the result of the A-B testing from the pop-up tool. You actually care about the earnings from the offer behind. So you just make a button, one, you make the exact same pop-up, one linking to CJ, one linking to the in-house affiliate program, and you just run that for solid days. So it's exactly splitting half-half. And then you just check literally how much money you made and your EPC from that. And you will, like, I've seen several tests on forums, et cetera. I, we haven't run into that specific situations ourselves. So that's why I'm, I'm quoting these things. I've seen situations where people would make 20 to 30% more money with the exact same payout. So it's quite interesting. And even if you find two avenues for the same thing, you might want to test it and you might end up making more money. It might be worth it if you get enough volume, basically. I think the reasoning or some of the reasoning for that potentially could be down to the underlying technology. So I presume Commission Junction's technology is is really on point. I mean, they, oh, they, yeah. they probably have a big right? team that works on making this like just flawless. Now, we don't know in that that situation, what the in-house program was was using technology-wise. Maybe they were using like a WordPress plugin, like WP Affiliate or something, which is fine. Like it, it works to an extent, but it's not designed for that kind of like high-level use, and it's not fully optimized and tweaked. Uh, the performance settings are, are probably not as great as what CJ have have developed. On the flip side of that, I think that there can be instances where uh, an in-house affiliate program, which is tied to a shopping cart, like Thrive Cart, the way they tracks have it better, set up, yeah. tracks better just yeah. because like it's it's inbuilt and it's not two systems talking to each other, which always has a potential of, of failure stuff, if there, yeah. there's any kind of kind of issue. But when it's built into the cart, it's like a, a native setting basically. So I, I feel like when we switched over, I feel like our affiliates started making more money when the when we were using the Thrive Cart built-in whatnot. That's quite anecdotal, so, 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 so don't quote me exactly on that. It could be a number of factors because we changed a lot of things at the same time as we, as we switched yeah, over. Yeah, uh, it's but. true. These technical things do matter. Um, like these te- little things on checkout and everything and page load time, etc. For e-commerce, it matters more than like for blog type, affiliate type sites, etc. So it, I can see that play quite a bit, actually. I'd also say as well, uh, you mentioned about the retargeting as an option when not for for the affiliate but for the vendor doing retargeting so if we're referring a mountain bike customer to them and they they land on the checkout page and they don't quite buy then the vendor does retargeting retargets that person and then sells them next Tuesday via an ad now depending on how they have the program set up will depend on whether you get that that commission or not a lot of vendors like for the Authority Hacker affiliate program, we have cookie-free or yeah, cookie-free retargeting. So when we're we're doing retargeting ads, the initial affiliate gets the commission for that. Some programs have like a last touch model, so like the last person to recommend or to to cookie. Yeah, but normally you shouldn't will, cancel it, right? Will not get through the ad. Um, commission. Well, if they if they don't have if they're not cooking people through the ad, but I mean yeah. they can if they want. If they retarget with an with their own affiliate link, then they can overtake it. And that's that's my point. Like the with all of this stuff, it's always open. There's an element of trust that you have to have with yeah. the other party, right? And 
they can always screw you over if, if they so desire. I, I remember one case, there was a guy in the, the DC, the Dynamite Circle, who was an, an affiliate, and there was a, a network just decided that they weren't going to work with him anymore. And they kept like $14,000 of his unpaid commissions. I'm just like, sorry, that's it. Which, you know, that was a <laughs> kind of business decision on their part. Bit pretty fucking dodgy if you ask me, but... You know who else does you know, that? Amazon. <laughs> if you get banned from Amazon, they keep your earnings, you know? Oh, Amazon. Yeah. So that's interesting because, so that wasn't some, that's if you get banned, but I don't think he actually did, this guy did anything yeah, wrong just in, it, yeah. in that sense. I think it was just a, a money play, but there are some, I don't want to call it nefarious because, but let's call it questionable practices that the Amazon program runs. So I forget what it's called. It was, was it like gift, gift aid or, or something oh, like I that? Which one, yeah. Where if you are purchasing a product on Amazon, you can opt to give like a, Amazon smiles. That was it. Amazon smiles. You can opt to like give some money to charity as part of it for free, essentially. Yeah. And it's like, well, why would you not do that? I mean, you're you, you buying something on Amazon. It costs the same and you, you end up giving 1% of that to the, <laughs> give you a commission, uh, to, yeah. the, to the charity. But in those cases, what actually happened was that they would not allow any affiliates to be eligible for commission when they were doing that. Now, at the time when I, I sort of noticed this, this was when Amazon was more in the sort of like four, five, six, seven, sometimes 8% commission. Um, so essentially they were not paying the affiliates four to 8% commission and then paying a charity 1% instead <laughs> and pocketing the other three to 7% or whatever it was. You know, not that many people were using Amazon Smiles, but still, these kinds of things do go on even at a, a kind of a big high level, like for a pro, uh, network like Amazon. Kind of makes me happy that Bezos is now number two richest man in the world, you know? Take this. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure he'll be struggling to sleep at night on his I like, know, it must sheets. be a tough life for him right now. Like, he must hate it, you know? Although it just takes a bit of a tumbling from the Tesla stock and then he's back to number one, so who knows? Okay, anything to add? Because I'm, I'm pretty much done, actually. Anything else you want to add? No. All right. Well, then we're going to close it here, guys. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed it, don't forget that you can subscribe on YouTube and you can also give us a like if you're on YouTube. You can click on the notification bell so that you don't miss any of the episodes. And you can listen to this podcast on all the audio platforms if you prefer listening to it on the go. And we thank you for coming and joining us and we'll see you next week for another episode.